0: Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome back to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Today we want to focus on small grains. This was prompted really by the passage of Ohio Senate Bill 299, which was signed in 2018 to provide $23.5 $23.5 million to the Western Lake Erie Basin for nutrient management programs. These programs are run through the Ohio Department of Agriculture, Soil and Water Conservation Districts in that watershed. So far, four programs have been identified for funding to help address water quality issues, and one of those is the Ohio Working Lands Small Green Program which provides incentives for farmers to plant small grains such as wheat or barley. Before we get into the program details, we want to talk with Dr. Laura Lindsey, soybean and small grain agronomist with The Ohio State University, because she can provide some insights on best management practices
1: for growing small grains in Ohio. Welcome, Laura. Hi. So we've seen a major decline in wheat acres across the state as profitability has dropped. And this incentive is specifically designed for the Western Lake Erie Basin, but we want to talk about agronomic practices for wheat from a statewide perspective for our listeners. Uh, For the sake of time today, we're not going to get into barley because we covered that back in episode eight. So jump back and listen to that if you want to learn more about barley, but Talking about wheat, let's start with some basics. Laura, what are the recommended seeding rates and planting dates across the state?
2: Sure. So uh, planting date is extremely important, and I think we've seen that a lot this year. Uh, We recommend planting as soon as possible after your county's Hessian fly safe date. And within Ohio, that ranges anywhere from late September into early October. Uh, We don't want people to plant before the Hessian fly safe date. Uh, because barley yellow dwarf virus uh, can be an issue. Uh, but as soon as possible after that date is, is ideal. Uh, this, this can be a problem um, sometimes if soybean harvest is delayed. Uh, so one, one thing we've been looking at is uh, selecting earlier maturing soybean varieties uh, to plant before wheat. Uh, We haven't seen a huge yield decline with earlier maturing soybean varieties. uh, so That might be one way to help um, facilitate small grain uh, harvest or small grain planting in the fall. And then as far as seeding rate, uh, seeding rate is dependent on planting date. Uh, So if you're planting within the first few weeks of that Hessian fly safe date, uh, 1.2 to 1.6 million seeds per acre should be adequate. Uh, If you're planting later, uh, into the third or fourth week after the hessian fly free date, uh, jumping up to 1.6 to 2 million
1: seeds per acre is is, uh,
2: usually ideal.
1: All right. so the next thing, just getting it seeded isn't really the only concern we have. And we saw with the wet conditions last fall and then the winter that we had, coming off of that, that those conditions can really have a dramatic effect on what that wheat stand looks like come spring. And around the state, I know you and I have talked about it, you're seeing some really poor stands. We think maybe a lot of that's due to the really cold temperatures we had in midwinter. So could you talk about, you know, what recommendations you have for assessing a wheat stand in the spring and then making a decision on whether or not, you know, they should keep it or terminate that crop?
2: Sure, yeah. This, this year, uh, wheat stands are really variable. Um, I've been to fields that are very consistent and look great, and I've also been to fields that have um, very inconsistent stands uh, where you'll have maybe a patch that's really green within a field and then in other patches which are, which are um, behind and, and a lot thinner. So a uh, stand assessment is really important to do. Uh, what we do for our trials, uh, we count the number of wheat stems and stems, we consider to be the main stem plus tillers in a linear foot of row in several areas in the field. Um, and then we have a chart uh, that we can use to, um, if you have so many tillers per linear foot, this is your estimated yield. And that's all based on models. Uh, so they're not, they're not perfect, um, a lot can happen. You can have a thin stand that rebounds really well. And you might have a good stand that doesn't yield quite as well, but uh, our estimates can be used as a, a rough guideline uh, to estimate estimate uh, yield based on stem counts. So
0: one major benefit of incorporating small grains is the ability to apply manure um, at a time of the year when the risk. Losses lower. So, we talk about applying nutrients to growing crops, and wheat allows you to do this in the fall and the spring, unlike corn or soybeans potentially. So, OSU Extension Field Specialist Glenn Arnold has worked extensively with manure applications, and some of you may have seen him present. He gets around the state and talks about his work. He's really focused on widening the application window, applying to growing crops. And that's not only wheat, but also corn. And some of the things he's done there is pretty fascinating. But he incorporates it by side dressing or narrow openings. And back in 2007 to 2009, he compared manure applications to wheat. And those treatments were urea, manure surface applied, and manure incorporated. So he made the applications in early April after the wheat had broken dormancy. And despite having driven over the wheat with a manure tanker or cutting it up, they used a pecan toolbar that made slices in the soil. The only yield difference um, between those three treatments was in 2007 when urea yielded lower than both the manure treatments. So applying manure to wheat, especially in the spring, can be – a great nutrient source and a way for people to utilize that manure, especially if they're um, getting full through the end of winter. Now, back in March, Glenn did summarize the findings in a corn newsletter article, so we'll link you up with that. But to go along with that, Laura, what are the nitrogen recommendations for wheat? Should we apply any in the fall or put it all in the spring? Spring, what are the best management practices
2: there? Those are great questions. Uh, so in, in terms of nitrogen recommendation, uh, it, it's good to file the Tri-State uh, Fertility Guide. and uh, The recommendations are also in uh, the Ohio Agronomy Guide, uh, 15th edition, which was revised just a couple years ago. Uh, so the nitrogen recommendations are based on the yield potential. And just looking at the, the guide right now, um, if your yield potential is 90 bushels per acre, uh, the recommended recommended nitrogen rate would be 110 pounds of N per acre, and that's taking into account both fall and spring uh, nitrogen application. So, um, I recommend looking at those guidelines uh, to fine tune your spring nitrogen application rates. In terms of uh, timing, uh, whether or not we need uh, nitrogen in the fall um, is something that we plan on looking at in the future. Uh, right now, in our trials, we apply about 20 pounds of nitrogen in the fall, uh, but we haven't actually, my lab program hasn't actually tested that yet, uh, so something we, we plan on doing in the future fairly soon is looking at, you know, whether we really do need that fall nitrogen um, or not.
1: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing the results of that. So another question we have when it comes to wheat is getting harvest um, done in time so that we have a good quality grain. So, what concerns do we have with harvest midsummer of wheat, and what can we do to ensure high quality at harvest?
2: Yeah, harvest timing is extremely important. Uh, we've done some research uh, playing around with harvest date in wheat, and uh, we see if uh, grain dries down to uh, 13% or less, and then we get precipitation that re the grain, and then grain moisture increases. Uh, We've seen increased vomitoxin lodging, sprouting, and decreasing test weight. And so those are all pretty big concerns um, in terms of of the price you get for wheat. Uh, So timely harvest is really important. Um, If that dry grain is rewetted, that's when we see pretty um, major issues.
0: Another question I have concerning what type of yield we're going to get what seem to be the largest impacts that weather have on wheat? Is it really how it comes out of winter? Obviously if we don't get any rain then we're not going to have a good crop but then too much rain too. So what are some um, conditions you've seen over the year that have yielded good harvests or some that have been pretty low?
2: Yeah I think it's all important which is kind of I guess agronomist answer it's all it's all important um the stands this year the wheat that was planted late the stands the stands do look poor, so planting is planting dates extremely important, which is um always a struggle in the fall uh if if conditions are wet like we had uh this past fall um harvest date is extremely important as well if that dry grain is rewetted uh we've seen uh a lot of economic issues in terms of having those increased vomitoxin lodging, sprouting, decreasing test weight. Um, so they're all, all of it is is essential uh, to have, have high wheat yield and high quality grain. So I guess that's not, not really an answer, but it's, it's all, both ends are important.
1: Yeah, maybe it's because of my limited experience with wheat since there's not a lot of acres, but I feel like that's, it's a crop where I don't see a point in the summer where I feel confident like the crop is made. Something can happen to wheat at any point all the way until you get it out of the field, it seems like. Yeah, 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 I I agree. Laura, thanks for joining us today. Um, You shared some really great and useful information. Do you have any resources that you'd like our listeners to know about?
2: I think the the main resource really for agronomic production is the Ohio Agronomy Guide. Uh, It it can be purchased at any of the county extension offices uh, and it's also available on my website which is stepupsoy.osu.edu.
1: All right, Laura. Well, thank you so much and we're looking forward to the next time we get to chat with you. Yeah, thanks a lot. So the next person we have with us today is Kirk Hines. He's the Chief of the Division of Soil and Water Conservation. And he's here to share with us a little bit more about the small grains initiative. So, welcome, Kirk.
3: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that.
1: So, could you start off and just give us an overview of this program?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, this program, um, as we call it, the Soul and Water Phosphorus Program, was set forth by the General Assembly in 132nd, um, and it's really to focus on areas of the Western Lake Erie Basin. So parts and pieces of about 24 counties in northwest Ohio, Um, and then we'll be doing conservation, so land management practices up in that area of the state.
0: Great, so what are the goals of the program?
3: So the goals of the program really are to reduce the phosphorus loading into Lake Erie. Um, Obviously, traditional conservation practices in many ways um, is what we hope to do, but again, the, the outright goal is certainly just to Two practices that we can see reduction of phosphorus that hopefully reduces the loading and then forth comes uh, also reduces algal blooms in Lake Erie. Uh, so right now we're looking at three programs mainly that we're doing. Um, the one is the small grains program. and um, We can talk a little more about that. The second one would be what we're calling the working lands buffer, which is really just hate buffers. Um, and then the other is nutrient management plans.
1: Just a little while ago we talked with Dr. Laura Lindsay, about the agronomics of growing small grains. Could you explain about the program and what is involved with the program and then who would be eligible for the program?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So um, really the program um, is, is for two areas. So one would be for even the current crop. Um, and when we have a sign-up for that through June 1st, so for, for areas that are currently out there and planted, so mainly probably weed acres. Um, and then we'll be narrating another sign-up on June 15th for next year. Um, specifically, what the program does is it, is it wants to promote small grains, so it provides um, dollars, so basically a $75 incentive to plant a small grain that then is followed up um, with a manure application on that, and then the planting of a cover crop after that. So either a cover crop or it could be a double crop of soybeans. So again, it would not only promote the planting of the small grains, but also promote um, putting manure applications onto that area and then trying to um, basically make that sustainable, make the, the manure there and useful for the next crop by planting a, a follow-up of a cover crop or it could be a, a soybean crop after that.
0: So you mentioned the manure application, and we talked a little bit with Laura about some of the work Glenn Arnold's done with application to wheat in the spring as a nitrogen source. So would that work with this being able to put manure on in the spring and then put it on after harvest as well? You guys have a soil test and manure analysis requirement there
3: so does it come down
0: to just managing nutrient balances or do they strictly have to stick to that after harvest application?
3: Yeah I, I think or I think it all applies and it, it could all certainly work out so first and foremost you know we're certainly requiring a soil test um, to make sure that you know additional nutrients are needed there um, where we're applying the manure so as part of the program we're looking to make sure that the um, USDA 590 standard that we call, it, but the manure application standard is followed, so we would want to see a soil test, make sure that phosphorus is, is needed, um, and then when the phosphorus is needed, then uh, we would like to see that manure application in the summer um, when it's, you know, uh, good conditions to apply. And, and then we can, again, see it tied up by applying a, a cover crop afterwards that will keep the nutrients there for the future. Before the planting of the crop, so in the fall, in most cases where we're planting wheat, you know, it certainly would be appropriate to apply nutrients then, to apply the manure then or shortly after that it's established. I know Glenn Arnold's done a lot of great work there. So... Um, certainly applying at different periods when it's necessary. But I think our number one goal, again, is to make sure we're applying where it's needed. And then also given an outlet for livestock producers to work with neighboring farmers that have a wheat or a small grain crop that may not have manure available, but to where they could benefit from the manure application. Um, there would be some funds there, as I mentioned before, to see that manure transferred and applied in an area that's not traditionally seen the manure applied um, would also eliminate the need to apply a commercial fertilizer in those cases. Um, And maybe in a lot of those cases, uh, the livestock producer doesn't necessarily need that manure, so it could be moved to another area. So that would be certainly one of the main goals of this program, um, of the small grains program.
1: I think this sounds like a fantastic program. I'm especially excited about the fact that it doesn't necessarily need to be a cover crop. It could also be a cash crop like double crop soybean because I think that really opens it up and makes this a really good opportunity to, you know, get wheat into the rotation or get another small grain into the rotation and take advantage of those windows for applying fertilizer. I think This is a great initiative.
3: Well, we think so, Um, so far, you know, we've seen quite a bit of interest in the program for this year, so, you know, really our our intent is to look at next year where we can actually go out and and producers can pick those areas that are, again, that are needed um, to see newer applications or need the nutrients, so it'll be even more beneficial as we move forward. But yeah, there's been a lot of success so far in signups, Um, and and we, we agree, we think there's multiple goals, so one is just the small grains being established. Um, And now there is obviously to see manure and see nutrients applied in areas that are needed that have not seen them in the past. And then certainly a third goal is to see a cover crop or, as as you mentioned, a a follow-up soybean crop after that to sort of hold those nutrients in place and to to utilize them. So we think there's multiple goals and multiple benefits here. Um, So we're excited about it as well. So
0: is there anything else you want to share about the program um, or where can people go to find out more information?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, what you know, when we're on here, I, I would like to share, we also have the hayed Buffer Program um, store as well, excited about that. So that basically provides areas where, you know, a lot of times we traditionally see buffers put in um, as part of the conservation reserve program, which is a great program, but it really does not allow the harvesting of the uh, of the forage or of the grasses. So this uh, hay Buffer Program is something, again, that's offered by the state through um, Senate bill 299 through the soil water phosphorus program and what it does is it basically provides $125 per acre per year for a period of each year for five years to plant that hay crop along um, Corridors along stream corridors. So again, we're going to allow the harvest of that um, but we will see the benefit of having grass next to a stream where it can capture the nutrients, and then we can remove those nutrients through the grass. So we think as well this has a real benefit there. Um, and then as well, we'll hope to see that 4 H established in the fall and, and then continue to grow and not harvested after September 15th. Um, so we can see again, that we can have something there to trap the nutrients. So as well, yeah, so I just wanted to share that as well about that program, so we're excited about it. Um, All these programs though, both of them, you can contact your local soil and water conservation district. Um, Sign ups will continue. We're sort of doing a new sign up starting June 15th, but they have lists currently, so producers can sign up really anytime and connect with their local soil and water conservation district um, in any of those 24 counties up in the Western Lake Erie Basin. Um, we also have information on our website here at ODA um, where they could contact us as well. But really, the local soil water conservation districts would be the most beneficial place to reach out to to get information.
0: Well, that's great. Like Elizabeth mentioned, there's you know, a lot of research that indicates having three or four crops in the rotation is a lot for soil health as well. Unfortunately, the grain markets don't always support that right now, so it's nice to have. Um, This program in place for those counties that are eligible to do that.
3: Yeah, we're we're certainly excited about that So um, certainly Governor DeWine is excited. We we as well are looking, you know, to do what we're calling H2Ohio So that's something that'll be potentially statewide depending on how it proceeds through the budget and through the General Assembly But you know, we're looking at similar programs that may be applicable to other areas of the state So we'll see what comes about, but we're certainly hopeful
0: Well, Kirk, we certainly appreciate your time and appreciate you joining us here today to share this
1: with farmers.
3: Absolutely. Thanks for letting me join you. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode.